Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass, and I'm a tabletop game designer in Glendale, California. And I'm Lee Ups. I'm a tabletop game designer in Boston, Massachusetts, America. Adam, what's up? Just another Sunday uh, recording in the traffic zone, so we're going to see how that goes. Oh, there's... We call that the human factor. <laughs> We're back. We We're... have some human factor on this episode. Yeah, it's kind of a throwbacky brain trust app. Uh, it's like tape hiss on your favorite <laughs> drum and bass or fucking boom bap record. I just saw that vehicle accelerate on my uh, on the sound waves of this file. <laughs> Speaking of vehicle accelerating, Adam and I were just talking about uh, Torque Borg coming to Kickstarter for Zine Quest. Yeah. Which is Mork Borg with cars, Mad Max Borg. Yeah. Uh, just going over some like visual styling stuff that's going to be very neat. I mean, it's, yeah, so it's I, good. <laughs> it's going to be good. Like We decided this last week, but I just started struggling to think of an artist to do the cover. And um, I think this is a game designer thing that happens. I don't know if it happens to you, but I was just on Instagram for hours and hours looking at hashtags and different artists. And it uh, made me feel absolutely out of my gourd doing that. Yep. Uh, I spend a lot of work, air quote, work time on the Instagram Explore page and just like going down the rabbit hole of if you like this, you might like this. And uh, I... Well, when I do it, I'm usually looking for like a style guide because then I can kind of riff on, I can add, I, see. I can add like my vibe to somebody else's vibe to accomplish something that's maybe stylistically in line with um, other people's work or, or something that inspired me. Um, so it's, it's less to hire, which I've, which makes it easier, obviously, because I can go on like. One of my favorites during Necronautilus development was the like retro sci-fi art Instagram page, Ooh, and they were just posting nice. almost every other day. They just post Mobius, and it's like we all know, um, <laughs> we all know he's the guy. But there was some cool paintings I'd never seen before, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's a cool idea for like what the shape of a creature could be." And then I would go and do it in my style and my ink and everything. It would be totally different, but it would be derivative still of something from 75 years ago from like some pulp artist um what do you think was going through that guy mobius's head i don't know i i my gut was to say drugs but i feel like it wasn't because i think he was just some old guy who just was like really good at a very particular thing I like I like old guys like that, like H.R. Giger, too, who are just like, yeah, I'm going to drop machine sensuality for the rest of my life. <laughs> or like I, I found like my that. thing, and that's, this is it. Yeah. My thing is drawing the Xenomorph 100 times in different <laughs> ways. Um, and you know what? They're great. It's when, great. One of the best monster designs ever. There was some like artist advice YouTube channel that I was subscribed to for a while. And one of their things was like, just draw the same thing every day. Um, like draw your dog or draw whatever. And a bunch of, uh, sheet metal PVC pipes fucking each other. <laughs> That's what HR Giger did. <laughs> uh, and it just like develops your style because you have one less variable. Like if you just draw something every day, mm. today I draw an elephant tomorrow. I draw, a. Uh, truck the next day i draw 
you know, a building or whatever, um, you can still develop skills, but there, it's like uh, giving plus one to all of your stats, and instead these old guys are like, why don't I have plus five to robots and then zero to everything yeah. else? To PVC uh, pipe. <laughs> Phallasis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then they mimic um, the, the, the reality. I mean, it works, I guess. I guess I we only know the successful ones. I mean, think about um, it. The, it, it in games too. Like, if I just did horror games, I would be known as the horror guy, and I would, I would have you know, a, a little bit more focus in my catalog. And I think some people would be like, "Oh, that's just the horror guy," but if that's a thing that you like, you would you would snipe every release because you would right. know that person cares about, knows about, and, and like achieves this one thing really well. I don't, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad yeah. thing. I think that can be a good thing. Um, yeah, I think I think what we do is the craft part, and then yeah. like we have aesthetics that we use. But it's so game design is so cool because you can just oscillate wildly, right? Especially like you don't always have to make mystery games or something. You can make a especially a on the indie front. Mystery. Yeah, like we're all liberated from that constraint. But I think if if you were commercially focused maybe you would want to be one not not necessarily one thing but like you would want to constrain your limitations a little bit more to better like focus on being a brand or like a style thing um yeah but that's sort of not uh, a thing that any of us need to worry about (laughs) Well, it's like the designer, not the design, the designer of the witch, <laughs> then making the lighthouse, which is like still uh, an, an oppressive movie, but it's really funny. Like just you know having that range and shit. Um, but yeah, I've just been on Instagram. Uh, nothing more embarrassing than seeing someone tag their art as outsider art when they <laughs> are not at all. <laughs> I've definitely um, done that. <laughs> Just, it's just about playing just the hashtag the game. Outsider art tag. <laughs> yeah, people playing the hashtag game for outsider art, which is like a more of a political understanding of art than it is aesthetics. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, I drew a creepy guy. It's outsider art now. <laughs> uh, <sighs> I feel like low art is is a tag oh, I would be more one? likely to use. Yeah, what is low art? Like lowbrow or like... If you oh, okay. if you don't have if you don't use nice things or if you like paint on pizza boxes and stuff, if you're actually a little fucked up. <laughs> art's a little bit more fucked up than other stuff because high art is you know like still lifes and portraits and classically uh, realized or classically trained visual art. Uh, low art would be the opposite of that. Mm. Spray paint and yeah, like just shitty tools and. Ooh, spray paint's actually a really good idea for Torque Borg. Yeah, I mean, hey, anyone with any game at all, just take a take a spray can, just do a quick tss, tss on a piece of paper, <laughs> scan that in, and you have shitty texture all day. And you know what? You can probably just Google free spray paint texture and get 100,000 of them for free without making your own. You should really scan it. You should really scan. Doing it, it yourself rules. Is, Let it dry. Yeah, uh, that is a lesson learned. <laughs> you should really be. <laughs> oh no. Um, Necronautilus. I had a lot of drawings that were in black ink, 
and almost every day I'd be like, this one's done. I need to scan it and drop it in InDesign right now <laughs> to make sure the text fits and so I can move on to the next spread. And I think it was only once or twice that I had to uh, take some rubbing alcohol and clean off the bed of my scanner because I didn't wait long mm-hmm. enough for the ink to totally dry. I've definitely gotten some glue on my scanner like that scanning zine pages. And then just every zine you ever make for the rest of eternity has glue in it. <laughs> just a little smudge. <laughs> like, that's my signature. On the bottom of every page, there's a black dot that I couldn't get off my scanner bed. <laughs> it's it's my watermark. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's great. I Yeah, it just... I really like looking for artists because I feel like I'm... I like giving artists a ton of, like, bandwidth to imprint on the game like yeah working on it as a collaboration rather than a contributor um and such that like i will redesign the game around the art when i see it uh and i like crediting artists and layout artists on the uh cover too because it's as important as the design of the game uh and i think more game designers should do that kind of stuff like it's it's funny um, how typically in book production process the art order happens towards the end um, when you are art directing it like you have final text and then you're just blocking out the places to put art instead of starting with thumbnail pages and then blocking out art and then you can then better block out what text needs to fit and it's all this kind of slinky amorphous process. I th- think a lot of that is derivative of Um, All of us are designers and writers, and then a lot of us de facto are our own publishers. Um, But a lot of indies are not making their own art, so it's like, I can write... It it sort of goes back to like when I'm in in a writing or design zone, I'm just in Google Docs every day, and it's, you know, just text on a a piece of paper. It's not not anything styly or considerate in that way. Um, and if I was unable to do my own art, I I would not really, I would be in the flow until the end and go, oh shit, I need art for this. Um, Oh, okay. I, I think obviously I I am privileged by the ability to do both or multiple things so that I can work in, in conversation with myself, right? Like I can do the cover and then write some more and then do a spot illustration, what, etc. But when you're working by yourself, especially on smaller projects, I would say, um, that's usually not a thought that comes up until it's done because so many game designs are GDoc work in progress until they're not, you know, like, yeah. How, how many games does everyone have that are 80% done in docs and just like, do you want to publish this or do you want, is there a deadline or is it just something you're going to tinker on for forever? Cause that's the other thing, like committing to an artist or paying to for contributors or collaborators when it's a project that you maybe don't know if it's going to see the light of day, um, could feel wasteful or feel like extra energy and money put into something that won't have returns. I know that some designers like Tyler Crumrine don't begin working on projects until uh, there's a cover in mind and even a commissioned cover or something like that. 
and it just is like kind of similar to me how I don't start working on projects until I can have a name for it and then I can kind of organize thoughts better in my head it just kind of works for me better that way and in the same way even if it's not paying an artist but it's having a style and a um aesthetic in mind that helps then shape the text and the game design I mean it's cool we have a really cool job as game designers because it is experiential design instead of like being a novelist um, sorry, novelists, you do something I don't think I could do. Um, but uh, you you get to make like a full 60, 360, full 60 degree design experience. That's <laughs> uh, the angles I'm talking about open these books at. Don't break the spine. 60 degrees, please. Equilateral triangle angle. Um, I think. Uh, is it? I had something to say. Yeah, because yeah, there's three 60s and that's a 180 and a triangle is 180 total. Uh, You're a brainiac. We all know that. You did all the. Dice I had something actually to God. say before the. <laughs> for Tyler, Tyler's cover art. Oh right. I mean, I think that is great, and I also think, like you said, it informs, a lot of direction that is maybe even invisible to the designer, right? Like the voice that you that you write in, that you write the rules in, can even be dictated by like what your cover is or what your logo type, will be for the front cover. Yes, um, that's huge. Thinking about like. Necronautilus tone is that it's not necessarily my default writing tone because it was already informed by the style of the well the placeholder graphic that ended up being one of the covers. Um, Whip, same with cyber metal. Print. <laughs> yeah. Um, same with cyber metal this is something I'm working on that is like well I mean the name already is like pushing the text in a different direction. Uh cyber metal. The most beautiful <laughs> phrase in the English language. Honestly, it's just what if cyberpunk was metal? Cyber metal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's more it feels like it's a dial up connection into like a festering wound. It's like really good. Uh I'm excited for it, but it's but working on that in parallel with working on Babes in the Wood. <laughs> Um, is psychic shock, uh, <laughs> <laughs> writing an, writing an all ages s- sort of like friendly game with no combat at the same time is, I bet you got to use that, a fucking crack a cinnamon stick under your nose to begin <laughs> designing. Yeah, it's, the woods it's smelling salts, but instead I'm just smelling like, uh, like Christmas scented air fresheners or something. Mold cider. <laughs> uh, and for obviously cyber metal you hit your head as hard as you can on just a with a hammer <laughs> clonking it with a hammer that has like a digital level in it or something yeah i get a concussion so i can't go to sleep and then in that f- fugue state is when i write <laughs> wow uh let's you want to take a break and go on topic what topic let's go let's do let's it. make a we're uh well we'll intro it in the in the segment <laughs> yeah you will hear it you have to wait you'll have to stick around <laughs> yeah oh we should before we we go we should check if we got any new reviews to know if we should try on this next topic or not right right uh, didn't we establish in the in the last one though that like past reviews that were not mentioned on the show count they're they're cumulative yeah, yeah but you know they could have deleted them <laughs> it's hard to say <laughs> i imagine all re- reviews are conditional for the brain trust. I like this theory of like, I liked your show. Now I'm a little bit lukewarm on it. So I'm going to take, <laughs> remove my five star and, and 
you have to win me over again. It's a provisional five stars. <laughs> All right, we got we got a review. Um, for, oh, we we were talking about him before. Tyler Crumrine says a game design podcast. And Tyler, your title for the review is too long, so it is getting cut off. But there is a colon and an ellipses. So <laughs> you know what? I I think you could be a little punchier with this title, so because I want to read it. But Tyler says. So Tyler, I'm giving your review of the podcast a four and a half stars. Could, could use a little bit of improvement, <laughs> but let's hear the text. It's like if it were okay to cry during stand-up. Also, these games slap. Adam, the game slap. You've heard it here. That's a great review. It is a great review. Thank you, Tyler. I am upgrading your review to six stars. Okay, bye. <laughs> started packing for your move yeah it's really hard um i have i began by listing every single book i had that i didn't want to keep and i just made a really huge embarrassing list of all, somehow all the neil gaiman books i have i don't know <laughs> really how that happened i think just white people of a certain age accumulate they through. just happen <laughs> it's part I've... of the water cycle is <laughs> neil gaiman books just appear on your shelves like uh, like humidity <laughs> i've i found at least one i think maybe two when i was when i was packing this week too american gods um, and i think maybe good omens oh see i didn't find either of those because i think i gave those away i found a like a bunch of weird ones um like not heavy hitters. I think I must have just grabbed them from little free libraries. But anyway, yeah, my my whole life right now is in a state of boxes and um, giving games to people. And how's your packing going? Uh, I would say it's a it's probably more calamitous than yours, but it's a little bit less stressful. <laughs> in that yeah, we what's have the, what's the calamity? The, we have the keys to the new place now. Um, but we still have like four weeks before we have to be out of our current place. So we will just go and the, and the new place doesn't have the electricity or, or water running or anything like that yet. So we'll just do one trip a day with whatever fits in the trunk of the car. So like, you know, six boxes and a guitar or something like that. And mm. um, so the first couple of days I would just be like, I'm just bringing my zines. And then I'd go tear open the box, put the zines on a shelf somewhere and then bring the empty box home. Uh, so it didn't necessarily feel like I accomplished anything. It's got some Minecraft energy to it. There's there's very much this sort of yeah like miniony uh, <laughs> approach because I'll say what can I do today and and the other thing is I've hired movers to come next week for all nice. of our appliances and furniture and stuff. Um, but and, and like as part of that they'll move any boxes that are here 
but it just feels like I'm sitting on my hands knowing that we have this other place and I'm not doing stuff. So um, moving uh, book boxes that aren't too heavy, moving some, like I moved all of my resin and clay sculpting tools and, and supplies over there um, because I don't plan on doing that in the next five days or something. Uh, but they're all really superficial moves. You know, I haven't moved any mm-hmm. clothes. I haven't moved any kitchen stuff. Um, so it's really hard to gauge how it feels right now because it, it, it doesn't feel real. And I'm also, I just decided because um, a year and a half ago, I moved from Michigan to California and I only brought with me what would fit in a minivan to drive across the country yeah. and everything else yeah. I owned, I got rid of. So this time I decided I'm not getting rid of anything. I earned all these things. <laughs> I'm not selling any books. I'm not giving away my clothes or anything like that. I'm taking everything to the new place. So um, in that way, it feels a little less stressful too, because I'm not having to like do the organizational aspect. Yeah. Just get to move things from point A to point B. It's really only maybe 15 minutes drive between the two places. So right now, very low stress, very uh, easygoing. And that feels really great. I'm going to have to, I, my plan for today is to start moving things that are a little more substantial things like, uh, my mm. crock pot. Um, and you know, like a, a few like appliancey things that aren't necessarily going to be used very frequently, but, um, that's all to say my, my life's not in boxes quite yet, but my apartment is a disaster space. <laughs> Which is why I'm recording next to the highway. I'm doing, yeah, Adam's on the in the median. I am doing uh, the get rid of everything, like anything I can't put in a car because I'm moving back home and then I'm going to move again in a few months. Yeah. So I'm like moving these three waves. So like first wave, I'm packing up everything now, but I have to pack within these like three systemic waves. I'm a fucking game designer, everybody. But the first <laughs> one is... Uh, everything I can bring on a plane, and then everything that could be shipped, and finally, wave three, everything that I could drive when it's safe to drive, you know, that far, right, and into a different country and shit like that. But um, so it just means uh, I've accumulated some tips for you know getting rid of everything. So everybody, here's Will's tips for moving um your whole apartment in like a month. Step one: buy a bunch of boxes and storage stuff, but don't measure anything. Just <laughs> I kind of eyeball Amazon pictures for boxes and mailers for mailing games and stuff because it, it you know, it should fit because it's a mailer or a box. Um, so that's that's tip number one. Eyeball it. I have 20 moving boxes coming from today from Amazon that I did not measure. I just looked at the picture and I was like, well, if that's a normal size person, if that person's like my size, then that box, you know, like I'm putting my hands out in front of me like... <laughs> Okay, it's this size. It just said medium, and I was like, not big or small. That's a medium. Perfect. That's kind of what I need right now. Perfect. Uh, tip number two. Uh, like I said, make a list of every book you don't want, which really kind of highlights how you uh, don't read as much as you think you do, and you don't like basically any of the books or clothes that you have. So that's that's tip two. Have a kind of act self actualization that the items that you have and you've accumulated you do not even like. <laughs> you just are a hoarder. Uh, I mean, yeah, I just have lived in Boston for a decade. not just you, uh, the step like, the, rhetor- the rhetorical you. Like I'm just keeping all of my like 
one third of the bottle left like resin hardener and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to throw that away. I'm going to take it to the next place. Honestly, you did the huge move. You've earned, you've earned it, Adam. That yeah. wasn't long, that long ago either. So <laughs> no, if it, it feels like it because this year has been five years long, but it was really not that long ago. And I still lament a lot of the things I left behind, like my ice cream maker. Oh, you know, I have had that feeling too, that this year has actually felt a little bit longer than other years. Weird how that happened. It's weird. Like a must be a psychological thing. Funny. If true, this year has felt slightly longer than others. Oh, it's the leap year. Remember? <laughs> oh, right. It's um, the remainder. So this is funny too because I was going to pitch that we gamify moving as as our thing this week, but it feels so inside like it's not just inside baseball in the way that our show normally is, in that it's funny <laughs> it's to like... the thirty people in the Discord. Um but also you would have to be moving, so it, it brings it down to like five five people or less. Uh um, uh, people are gonna move, and then they're gonna remember this episode. Oh so. yeah, I gotta go dig that up. It'll be a leg- like a legacy episode. Like people will come back for this one. <laughs> yeah, we'll name the episode like uh, "Tips and Tricks for Moving 2020," and we'll record it each year. Yeah, great <laughs> SEO <laughs> on that. Yeah, yeah. Tips and Tricks for Moving 2020. Um, yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's a lot and I am just now labeling everything that's on the inside of boxes. I mean, it feels like a couple game elements are starting, like right. So, I am both gamifying my own lumbar, my fucking spinal <laughs> column in that I'm only doing small boxes cuz I know that that's going to suck later. And then I have to like future sight into what it's going to be to ship some of these boxes and what what I need and when. So, a a game idea of that is that you have a giant list of items, like a huge item list that's in, like, your, you know, adventuring horde or whatever, your secret base, and you're spending time in the field, and you have to decide before you leave when you're going to get each one of these items. Uh, And so, maybe you're on this, like, big desert expedition, and they can only send one airdrop a day. You're like, oh, I'm going to need water on day four, and I'm going to need... you know, a dirt bike on day five. And then, so you just live out these days seeing if you planned correctly. There's, I like the programming nature of that. Um, there's an aspect in Troika where you have a bag full of items and you can only on your turn reach the topmost. I think two, I think it's the top two items and everything oh, beyond cool. that. Like the item list is numbered and I'm not going to pull the book. I think the book has already moved actually, but, uh, they, I think it's like you it's have not in the top two. You have twelve, right? It, you have maybe twelve items. They're numbered, and you can reach the top two on your turn. But anything lower than that, you have to roll two d six for, and you have to roll under it or something to like be able to grab it quickly on your turn out of the bag. So you know you, you prioritize your fictional item list, and you put the just like you know a real bag or a real like a moving box where you go, I I will need this sooner. I will put it on the top of the box for easy access. Whereas this other item I need less, I will put it on the bottom of the box. Um, I probably won't need it, you say. And then, of course, you do need it, and you have to uh, extract it in a timely manner, roll your dice. Um, So I think there's already like some cool precedent for item play in role-playing stuff. Mm. I think, too... Something like Troika or Bastion Land, 
or even what we, we we've been talking about uh, lately is just like we, we talked about it when we were deep diving into Torkborg, but items that yeah. like uh, items that dictate how you play or items that are mm-hmm. almost in lieu of a class or specialization. Like if you have the GPS skull, like, yes, exactly. You're likely going to be the navigator or whatever. Like you have, um, sort of in, in, in Torque now, those are two tables that you're on. That's on the dash and in the trunk. And so you've got these two things that build out kind of your specialization, which is like a little bit after mothership patch and trinket, which I was just going to say that that works really well. Not just in that, um, when we played mothership, I think those things inform your character, if you're the kind yeah, of we began with like that's the yeah. only that's my hack of mothership is you just actually begin with the patch and and trinket before you roll yeah i played a game um uh actually right before our call or recording i was talking about um this sci-fi game that's in wish you were here that's called cause and effect which is the story forward version of mothership <laughs> or that's what i was going for um you <laughs> You wake up on a spaceship and everyone is dead except for the PCs and uh, nobody remembers anything. So the game is discovering what happened and also surviving. Um, but it similarly has that, like, when when I playtested it, I used the Mothership item tables and was like, oh, you have a little brain in a jar that's in your, in your pocket. And then from that random seed, that ended up being, like, really the whole... Uh, crux of our story was like this brain in a jar was actually like part of this larger like alien hive and it was like beckoning to them so they were all converging on the ship and then there was like a survival horror aspect of it but that just came from this random item so well shit maybe we have a game that or maybe a facet of the game because i think we haven't touched on it yet my goal was to pitch games (laughs) That games that you'd play that have no materials because all of our stuff is in boxes. And that was going to be what I said 20 minutes ago and didn't. So, um, <laughs> instead we just talked about box strategy on top of that, like, well, say, you know, say you want to run heckheads tomorrow and you didn't prep anything and you're like, oh damn, Lord. um, I have this box of my own items in front of me. I'm going to like <laughs> blind grab <laughs> into that box and pull something out and that item is like in the game in some way and we're gonna like build our our bs around that um could be fun could be except for except for the practical nature of moving where you're like these are all kitchen items these are all books um but you're like junk drawer basically yes yes a junk drawer drawers like that kind of shit yeah yeah i love that uh it's just like a claw machine for a drunk drawer um and yeah, I'm I'm just thinking of like Death Stranding, where you play a guy walking across a harsh landscape with a ton of boxes. I mean, you both pack stuff that you need for the trip to survive the trip, and then the the things you're bringing to your destination. Of course, in Death Stranding, you play Normal Krikus, uh, the actor from The Walking Dead, um, but he's in that, and. Yeah, I just like a story about one guy doing that. And I'm thinking about the Troika rules where you can only grab the top two things. Um, I think that's really great. But having inventory be this whole more physical Tetris style thing. Um, oh, and, yeah. And if you ever have played Death Stranding, you know that uh, 
normal Deacus is falling all the time and messing up all his stuff. And so he will, uh, you know, you have to rearrange everything and maybe you're, you're under stress pressure or you've broken stuff. So there's this at the core of the game, this kind of very physical, um, blocks in, it's like playing with blocks basically to get your items perfectly. I, that makes me think back. I feel like this was, I was going to say last summer, but time is meaningless. There was a, uh, this year's felt rather long. (laughs) I don't know what it is. There's a there was a fury in the Brain Trust Discord a while back on like a spatial uh character sheet on like yeah, modular yes. like tessels almost like squares and and tetrisy shapes that you put together to define your character and then you have the x and y axis be like rollable numbers or something like that, you know, like um yeah. If you know each spell is a square, they stack really easy. But if you have like one of the like S pieces in Tetris, like oh, that's going to create a gap. So I'm not min-maxing my abilities here. I'm going to leave this one square open or something like that. Um, that's making me think of that, but with like an items pack of saying, here's your grid space. That's where you keep your items. And whether it, what I, I like the combination of like a delivery and resource management thing of having to facilitate both in the same storage space because with that too you go oh i would really love to bring another six bullets on this trip because i'm a little light on ammo but if i do that i don't have space for uh this book that i'm supposed to bring to this client or whatever like it creates interesting choices and those choices will ripple through your abilities later in the game and you can have almost this like um, co-op style gameplay that's just really frustrating. Co-op is that Bennett Foddy game where you play the runner and you have a key for each each uh, thigh and each shin, basically. And so you run. It's very hard to run, and you're supposed to be running this marathon. Um, and so if all the players are collaborating to navigate this uh, Deacon Normals, Oh, let me get a new one. Uh, Doorman Geekus, um, you are then, uh, you know, dealing with just the clumsiness inherent in moving stuff. Um, there are games that do this really well. This item management stuff, like uh, Torchbearer, is all about managing these like abstract units of treasure, and um, you can only carry as much as pack slots you have, and you literally have these like backpacks at the bottom of your sheet, or something like Diablo, where you have items have a certain size in squares and you can you have to like manage how you're fitting all these squares together but if each player like if gmless game where you're just you know pulling out of this deck of events that are happening so like you know you're crossing across or you're crossing this craggy hellscape um you're gonna fall a lot so the players that are then responsible for like feet and legs are doing something while arms players are doing something. And then when you fall is when, you know, you have to, something happens like rolling all these dice or just toppling something down or making your house of cards fall or some shit like that. I like the idea too, that that this system is mirrored in the items that you find in the world of saying like, Mm. Oh, you've, you've come across like a, a wagon that has turned over and here's this like four by 10, 
grid. It's almost like a claw machine. Like you roll a Ooh. D10 and a D4 and whatever like combination or whatever uh, space that lands in, you get the item that is in that space. But again, you have almost this like Tetris block of the items take different measures of space and some of them are empty and some of them are like confusing shapes that will make it harder for you to fit into your space. But like maybe they're more valuable. Like you really want that one. Um, but there's still like sort of the claw machine uh, combination of luck and skill. Like you can aim yeah. for something, but you might not get it. To, to kind of tie this into uh, the theme of a game where you need no, you don't need anything to play. You just need like yes. your mind or whatever, or like oh, yeah, a that was the pitch. or something. Um, it could even be, you know, you're drawing or you're, you know, got blank no cards that create the storage space that you can then put stuff on. So you're building your storage space together at the table, you know, while dealing with obstacles and other people and your own um, endurance and recovery and stuff like that, where there is that like, oh, I might find something extra here that I can uh, improve myself, but it will be super heavy and it's going to bring people towards me. So you're basically like creating all these tags for yourself that if you then take the tag and a card says that like, oh, are you loud? Then these in Death Stranding, they're called mules. The mules come and get symbol decus and it, like it, it, they hurt you and then they're the only people that can kill you. Stuff like that. Um, this makes me think too. There's this board game called Wasteland Express Delivery Service, and um, it is it, it's making me think like of a later season Torkborg zine of like transit. Yeah, it's not just getting from point A to point B. Like so, in the game, it's a pick up and deliver game, and I think a lot of people were were pretty burnt on it when it came out because it has like extreme visual style. Uh, really great graphics and a lot of like really bright like neon kind of aesthetic of you know Mad Maxi wasteland vehicles but it's a it's a euro style like pick up and deliver game in disguise and I think people thought it was going to be this like Ameritrash uh, just more kind of gonzo experience but playing it just feels yeah. like anyway uh, picturing that extrapolating on that concept of like oh the Raiders uh, in the sea have been like cultivating this like salt bomb right and they want to deliver yeah. uh, these like salt grenades to the inlanders and sell them because they don't have access to this resource so we're going to hire you big ass school bus with a cow catcher on front to deliver <laughs> these salt bombs and so all, I mean in not, not to like step on toes obviously but as a torque board no, expansion you just add trailers or you add yeah. Like cargo beyond just like having the trunk but um and that cargo can be represented in this spatial way saying i need xyz and i need to get it to location x and like then you have you know your quest your story takes place along the road on the way and it's so uh, yeah it, it feeds itself like oh somebody found out that you're carrying all these salt grenades so they're going to try to hijack your ship and now you have a car combat or um, like someone's offering you way more money for them. Yeah, you have interesting stuff that is not necessarily... It, it, it is um, just feeding into the sort of driving culture. Because I think a lot yeah. of 
stuff we talk about. I remember last year when we when we started Brain Trust, we had a couple road trippy um, inspired things. But I think from having been in vehicles uh, for a lot of my adult <laughs> life, uh, a thing that gets ignored in that aesthetic is that so much of transit, especially long distance and transit like that, is material goods semi-trucks trains and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. are are mm-hmm. not moving people as much as they're moving items and generally those are for retail and stuff so um to include that i think is interesting because it it adds a whole lot of new directions the story can go in while still retaining a lot of the core stuff of vehicles with weapons and stuff like it i guess like i'm thinking of Twisted Metal, you just have the dozen vehicles that are all trying to kill each other, but one of them is right, a semi-truck, yeah. and that person's just at work, and they're like, I have a, a load of fridges <laughs> in the back that I gotta deliver to the hardware store, and y'all are raking it real I've hard I've got poultry. Me. Get this guy with the two wheels and his arms in the wheels out the fucking way. <laughs> it's gonna go Get bad. Get this jigsaw clone out of here. Um, <laughs> wait, what's the ice cream clown's name? Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth! Jigsaw is a sweet tooth clone. Yeah, and I think that's perfect because what I'm imagining all these Morkborg episodes are is Morkborg, Torkborg, Tork uh, episodes are is different frames to play this game and just evolving out of these different mini games involving driving. And so obviously that's great because you can just have the physical trailer and then you fill the trailer with stuff as we were talking about and. It's the, the the way the design looks right now, it just looks like pure bumper cars on the road, which is like what Mad Max is. Right. Not not so much dice and you're just, you know, moving and crashing and positioning. And so what is it like when you and your crew are trying to protect that and what what losses can you take and what successes can you uh then bring? Um and yeah, I think that's we've stumbled on this really cool moving truck situation. Yeah, I, I think to to extrapolate further, it's just like the sort of sandboxy game ideal that a lot of games strive for, but really it's like, oh, we have uh, you know rules for basic combat and rules for like overcoming physical obstacles, and really that's kind of it, and the rest yeah, of it you're yeah, up exactly. to whatever. So taking away the pretense of like you're a, an adventurer who walks everywhere and you have a sword and we're saying you're an adventurer who drives everywhere and has a cool car. Then you go, "Oh, well, what what else do cars do?" <laughs> right? Like <laughs> sure, yeah, they it's go like how from point every... A to point B. They also have this competitive nature inherent in like racing and stuff. So racing is its own thing. I think that's maybe distinct from combat because thinking Definitely. of like a Fast and Furious, they're not trying to hurt their cars. They want to protect their cars. Yeah. And it's different from a demolition derby, which is different from like a stunt show. It's like there, there's a bunch of sci-fi games that are like, well, you can do everything. You can be a military guy or you can ship stuff or you can mine things. And it's it's all these little modules of play that usually boil down to the same thing um, if you're not playing a really extremely huge, robust game. And, uh, you know, none of them are going to be as fun as shooting people with a gun sorry um sorry it's just fun i just love shooting people (laughs) with a big phaser uh but when it's like this and with the conceit of uh torque is that you've got these zines that are four different things kind of how mothership you have a zine per style of 
planet or adventure or module or stuff like that that introduces new rules and NPCs and stuff. Um, really into that kind of design. And of course, if you want, you know, the, uh, what's the deep purple song? Space Trucker? Uh, I don't know. Highway Star? If you want your Highway Star fucking, like, convoy style shit, it could even, you know, go into, like, how do you pack up and move a society like that? Or, like, your community. And, you know, I, I feel like both of those things can live in the same zine. Um, that and I really like the treatment of a game as as much as I like a, a book that has it, right? Like, that's just like a 200-page, 150-page... <laughs> I'm already stepping back. Uh, just a book that is like what you need to do it. Um, supplements and like a subscription or an ongoing development to be like, here's the core of it. And, you know, next month I'm going to add this this new function. Um, it's really exciting. I've actually been considering that for Cyber Metal too, of like having a yeah. core structure in place and then doing later development of adding pieces of the world and stuff and then i think too that's really exciting and just not just like a a player facing way of like now i get to deliver make a delivery with my vehicle um on its face that doesn't (laughs) sound as fun obviously but like at just adding more story tangents is always very cool but then you have the opportunity to just further develop the world and the society and, and structure and all that stuff too because when you introduce, you have this oppor- sorry, when you introduce delivery okay. stuff, you you now have brought like commerce and that kind of like, um, whether whether it's like money based or debt based or or bartering or whatever, you you you've introduced an aspect of economy that wasn't maybe forward. It was maybe yeah. like hinted at right before because obviously you have vehicles and how did you get the parts, but now you have a new function to answer those questions if that's what your group is interested in and i think that works so much better than the like 5e book that is just like you like you said like you can do anything but here are the rules for combat right um and having a sort of serialized process both feeds into the strengths of indie designers in that we like very focused designs that nail a certain thing like we know by dint of our own budgets and times that we can't pretend we're covering everything like other RPGs do. Um, Because obviously generic games aren't, you know, they're generic for a type of action and not a thing in general. So we're both like being honest with this. This is the zine you want. If you want to bang cars around, or this one is if you want to, build a base or something like that but it also gives us as game designers and story writers the opportunity to narratively design an rpg so the sequence of zines like in torqueborg will have a storyline that that takes you through all of these things like the adventure in the back will always be additive to this process so you can play through the storyline of the game in the first one it'll be you are in a horde of cars all the players it's a funnel to go catch max and so once you catch max that zine is over and you have done this like big road war process um demolition derby and so the next one is like you know returning and dealing with bases or something like that or delivering the stuff you get from max or you know anything like that so it, g- it gives us the opportunity to like 
really flex narrative design chops in serialized RPG publications that we don't see a lot. Yeah, I didn't even consider that, but that makes a lot of sense. And it also like invigorates a play group of like, you remember when we had a lot of fun a, a month ago with that one game? Well, now let's continue it because there's this new like facet of it. So yeah, rather than like episode two is coming out, we got to go see it. Right, right. Instead of something um, like, you know, the tome kind of huge again, like 5e is my is my touchstone but um the idea of like in 5e there's one person responsible for knowing effectively everything and that person is the game master and if a, if a player wants to do like grappling or whatever like that's a particular rule that even if you have cursory knowledge enough to run the game you might not know the particulars of um segmenting right. approach for play groups whether it be a, a GM game or a GMless game or anything, um, in the in the serial fashion that we're talking about, allows for that. Uh, it, it allows for cumulative knowledge of all players. So, yeah, maybe you play only one session. Maybe you play four sessions of your first module, and you really, you you learn how to play it. Right, that's when it's safe to say, okay, now we're gonna add this new mechanic instead of and, and video games do this really great mario does this fucking yeah. okay you can move forward and you can jump you got it you got it okay well here's your test it's gonna Eat be bowser and you gotta jump flower. on flower and yeah. then yeah then here's a flower now you can do fire stuff and or here's the tanuki tail you can do the tanuki stuff and it's like this motherfucker in a cloud throwing shells at you what are you gonna do but then by the time you get to something like a Mario Odyssey and you're five worlds in, you're like, oh, here's this in, is like rich bank of shit I know how to do. And a lot of the time Mario levels are designed for the particular skill that you just learned. And I think that's really great because it it makes you focus on it. It makes you get good at it before you move on. But then you move on to a new skill um, in later gen Mario stuff. Those skills are often available a lot of the time so you come back to the ones that you've gotten really comfortable with i was going to say mastered but it's not necessarily about that it's just like oh i remember how to do this really far frog jump so i can do that that's just a tool on my belt that i can bring out when it's necessary um and i think a serial game has that in the same way of like you've you've played you know eight episodes or whatever so you've learned car combat car racing car delivery car maintenance uh base building <laughs> you have all these like um pluses and minuses and by the time you get that high far, tech mutations like things like that yeah, it's too. At, at that point it's not necessarily what you as the designer or writer want to push direction in it's like well now you you as a play group have eight different like things that you know how to do um do you, you probably like one of them more than the rest, right? So like you you can play that whenever you want. It's all it's not right. necessarily forced linear narrative because you're giving if if a zine comes out, if delivery comes out and that's not something that interests your players, you still have racing and you still have combat. Like that's fine. Right. Because you can still always choose as a playgroup what your experience is. 
and like as a designer you can leave the door open for players to create their world that all of this is happening in by asking the right questions like if you have like the idea with the first one chasing mad max like you play all the mother the ghouls and goblins chasing max you are you're going into a place you've never been like max is taking you way out far side your territory so you're then generatively creating the landscape of the game based on just places you're zipping by um and so on the way back you then can explore all those places that you've created through play so everyone's like wasteland will look different but that like a zine could just be i can't stop thinking about people racing the la freeway or the la river adam it's just (laughs) i'm always gonna think about it but it's like okay what about the underground like what if a whole zine is like the underground racing with it's much more lethal and there's weirder stuff down there and so what does that storyline look like um yeah that's killer and also you can go talk to anybody who plays the game yeah you can talk to anybody that plays the game and have a similar but unique experience going through this narrative it's not like yes i went to the tomb of elemental evil and i guess i did the stuff there it's like oh we wanted to chase Max because of this, and then we got this from him, and then we brought it back here, and here's what we did. And people will like have the same experience, like when you're talking about your favorite pieces of media or whatever, like a movie. We yeah, like with movies, that right? same thing too. You you want to then explore or have that uh, experience. So like when I tell you about our race that was in the sewer tunnels and a bunch of cars blew up, you're like, oh fuck yeah, I want to go check out the sewer. And so, yeah. like, your group can go and uh, create and then explore in your own sewers. Or, like, someone brags, like, oh, yeah, we caught Max in an hour. Like, and they're <laughs> like, okay, I want to go play that again and try and get Max an hour and see what that reward is like or whatever. I feel like uh, uh, pin that topic for another day of RPG speed running. Yeah, that's something people have talked about a lot, but I think is absolutely some some shit. Anyway, you can tell I'm really excited about this, and kind of format-wise, really having serialized games like that is really exciting. Um, I we're almost at the end, so I won't push for a break because I feel like we're on it. Uh, you mentioned wanting to take Torqueborg One to Kickstarter, but to and I think that's good, especially for Zine Quest, because you'll get more eyes on it, and it, it is something that, when eyes are on it, will do well, right? Like, yeah, um, it will be infectious in that way of, like, of course I want that. Um, do you have anything in place or in mind for the ongoing, like, serial nature of it, like a subscription series or something like that? Uh, I mean, that's, that's something that's that sounds been perfect. stirring in my mind for Cyber Metal. I all... Uh, an idea that I had was to turn my Patreon just into Cyber Metal 2021. And mm-hmm. this cool. year, instead of doing monthly games, I'm going to do Cyber Metal f- for a year. And uh, because my Patreon only charges people when I actually release something, I'm not necessarily beholden to doing a monthly th- release. Although, you know, with zines and stuff and, and my current schedule, it wouldn't, it would be kind of in line with what I want to do anyway. Um, yeah. And then December you have the cyber metal box set. Then that's the compilation or the, the, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the trade, the trade, the trade. Yeah, when comics yeah. Are the, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how my brain was thinking about it. Like, yeah, you do the, you know, five issues of the thing. And then the first one's on Kickstarter and then people can 
back the Kickstarter for like a subscription level or something like that. If that's not too sketchy, that feels like something that the price might get weird for. Yeah, especially like shipping. That. Shipping might change just in the middle, and you're like, "Well, I guess I'm fucked now." I um, guess I'm never making money on this. <laughs> but then you know, you you can have a luxy Kickstarter version of the final thing or whatever it is. Um, we talk a lot about degreening, but we also talk about deep greening. So, <laughs> I mean, let's think about both here. We talk about green as the Kickstarter color, but green is also the color of money here in America. It's color of dollars, everyone. For us, me, it's always going to be green. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think subscription makes sense, or selling single issues is also fine. Um, I think too. I want with that in mind. I would like if single issues had some standalone quality. Yeah, but, like the, they're all going to have the rules in it, and because it's just hard to sell expansions be, for yeah. games. Like you need the core set and and this so like you need a person who likes your initial idea a lot enough enough to take a risk on it and then whether you're a collector or a player you need to keep that person on the hook and that's uh not on the hook that seems like you're tricking them but you know like you want to keep them engaged right and um that can be difficult especially when there's there's money involved like uh so the the flaw in the cyber metal series theory is there well uh, a few but if the idea of someone subscribes in march and they didn't get january or february so they don't have the core rules or the first edition or the first uh issue but they want to be involved in the process they want to collect or whatever um there's that board game company button shy who does like wallet sized card games and and stuff that does a Mm -hmm. patreon subscription and at any point during the year when you subscribe, you get the January like starter pack that includes all the core game stuff. And oh, then, that's great. Then each month you get the expansions and stuff as part of your, that's what you're paying for, which is tricky, but it's doable. They did it obviously. Um, and it's something that I could do. If you subscribe in March, I will send you January and then everything after, uh, or March and, and onward. Then the other idea too, of like you sign up in January you subscribe through April and then something happens. You're like, I can't afford this anymore. And you unsubscribe. And then November comes around and you're like, shit, I missed all these issues, but now I am in the place again where I want them. Um, finding a balance I think, with a subscription and having things in stock, I think is, is tricky. Yeah. It's a, it's another benefit of this kind of narratively designed series, serialized publication where you can be like, okay, this first arc is going to be all relating to this thing. So, like, if you're into this, these are the three zines that are, you know, you've got your chase down rules, your aerial helicopter rules, and then your, like, long distance sniping shit rules or whatever. Or maybe they're more broad than that or something like that. But you can say, like, okay, like, the, here's where we are. You can buy this whole series when it's out, or you can be on it. Um, and then you just. This is also creating a lot of workload on the publisher's end, but if people people will want to get that thing, and because it's at least for Torek, it they're zines, so they're not ridiculous to reprint. And if you could just set up the pre-order for the thing after the first run, or you know whatever it is, I think something like a bounty board is great for this because you can see where the interest lies within the game. And so yeah, if people are like, oh allowing- yeah, we want we want like the the 
you know, coastal race. Like, this is the thing that we want. Like, the, yeah. you know, or we want the far future tech thing, or we want uh, all the mutant monster cars. Yeah, that sounds, that makes a lot of sense. And, and framing it to, I think, again, a lot of um, hang ups in indie RPG publishing and stuff comes from the fact that you're looking at indie RPG publishing. Um, yeah. You framing it as the way that comic books are released. Like, obviously I'm not going to buy issue four if I didn't read issue three. Uh, or maybe, I, you know, I'll buy two, three, four all at once because I want to binge them. Um, that yeah. makes logical sense. And But issue four is still going to have enough that when you read it, you're like, this is a comic book and I enjoyed it. Like that. Yeah. Like arcs. So, so treating them as arcs and treating like maybe you have four seasons of torque and each season is, you know, three issues uh, or something like that. Like, so traditionally in comics, I think each narrative arc is generally put into a trade and then the trades are connected in like an omnibus, like the hardcover of everything, um, which is, could work and would be actually super cool. Um, but I think that's, that's putting a lot of pressure again on, on the publishing aspect of it. Um, I, th- I like the bounty idea for this a lot too. I think allowing the people who are most into it to influence the direction the design takes is really beneficial for all the people who get to enjoy the content. Cause then it's informed by response, you know, not just, there's also the aspect of like, in indie gaming, we all just publish the thing that we're most excited about, which is great. Yeah. But have <laughs> we we talk a lot too about like just having valuable feedback, and that uh, there's nothing there's not a lot of feedback more valuable than just having a person who's played it say, "I want this." And, I've played it, and I would like to buy the next thing. And that's what bounty style would accomplish i i think too you look at something um i know squarespace stores offer subscription sales now uh i know ko-fi is like a subscription-based thing that people could use for digital and i'm not sure about physical just because i am not super familiar with uh mm-hmm. with ko-fi but there are alternatives to patreon for the ongoing system that i think are really interesting and worth looking into also um because with that in mind, with I'm sort of thinking out loud, but the Cyber Metal subscription could really easily take place physically in my World Champ store, and yeah, not one not get feed through Patreon, um, yeah, but to be this more friendly ongoing thing that on my fulfillment end, I'm still just shipping out orders in my store when they come in, and then assuming that as a subscription module it the next month i just click the item in my store again and see who i owe the subscription to um so fulfillment would be a lot more manageable in that way and i think too we mentioned early like doing a kickstarter at the onset might be beneficial for the first issue or to get a lot of eyes on your project is what i'm thinking yeah that like you can subscribe for the three issue season and there I wonder will be a Kickstarter too, at the top of each season and to get that subscription. You mentioned um, the idea of doing multiple issues at, at a single time. So right. we're talking about subscription with single issues and maybe those issues come out monthly. But you could, in the same workload, you could do three issues every four months and it would still be 
or three issues every three months four four times a year that's still 12 issues in a year um you don't necessarily have to do them monthly and you'll save on shipping by being able to ship multiple zines at the same time so yeah treating it like a quarterly or something like that i i really love to the just like surprise or the anticipation of being subscribed to something um, yeah. With comic books, it was going to the shop on, on a Wednesday or Thursday and getting the new issue and reading it that day. But with something like games that, you know, then you then you want to play them and then you want to engage with them. I, I like the monthly because it will keep attention. But I also like really the idea of quarterly because it gives you as the designer a little bit more time to get rich with it and get yeah more in definitely. depth with like focus, focus the season a little bit more if you wanted to. Um, it would also help if you're outsourcing art or doing anything like that to have chunks of work instead of just an ongoing little bit of work, I guess. So I, I mentioned that more so as like a, if you're interested in doing a subscription thing, which definitely I am now. And I know, I know you are too. Um, but yeah, listeners, then there, there's also ways to do subscription that are not just a monthly thing that you get a thing a month. Yeah. Yeah, like let's let's talk about it on Discord. Definitely, that feels like the perfect place for it because I know that I'm doing this because it's easy because I want to do something more complicated and weird for the fashion fantasy game. So like this this is like a experiment project that's pretty stable and good. Um, it's it seems good to me. Uh, yeah, but I want to I want to hear what people think about stuff like that. Um, I've got I, it seems like every project I am working on now is some kind of repeatable serialized thing, just because that's what's really interesting to me currently. I think too you can even do it. I mean, we we've talked in the past too about like doing expansions or or late game content DLC for your games. Yeah. Um, oh my god, late game content. That's good. <laughs> that's end game shit. They don't necessarily even need to be mechanical. Like, yeah. I'm thinking of uh, like a Necronautilus scene that comes out in six months, and it's like, here's three more planets and a big bad guy. And I think the mo- the mothership ones actually are more like this in so yeah, far as they yeah. don't necessarily add mechanics to the core game loop, but they add things that you can do with those existing mechanics. So, what we're talking about this game kind of the, in ongoing development and and like moving in different directions. Um, with numbers isn't necessarily even important to the concept of an ongoing living, breathing project. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really exciting. I know there are a few people in the, in the trust discord who will have a game and then say like, here's a new class, here's a new setting, here's a, here's whatever. That stuff is, is really great for keeping people's attention and keeping your game alive. Um, here's now a new way to present that information uh yeah either in print or i mean a digital subscription would be a lot would be really easy to do and could be really great and beneficial for the publisher and the designer to do stuff like that yeah like maybe it only comes out in print when every when the three episode arc is complete and then you can get it in print or things like that yeah it's it's just a really exciting design space and it brings also Metaplot into this cool thing that's kind of out of this 90s understanding of, like, White Wolf Metaplot and Vampire and things like that. Right. And into this, like, 
what is what does a serialized game look like after Game of Thrones? Basically, like, what is that? I mean, yeah, even that. Damn, we're running up on the end of the ep, but that's such a good thing. Like, because Game of Thrones two doesn't go for it because it's old. Because medieval fantasy and stuff doesn't necessarily have like a world view because there's not planes and like geography. Yeah, you can just put out a Game of Thrones zine that's like, oh, there's an island off the coast of this one they just haven't found it yet here's the people here's its ecology and, and like governmental system and you know you, you add to the world building stuff and now as players or readers you go wow i really want to know more about this island over here where where people are drinking blood uh so let's go there they got or, blood soda over there or you go uh i don't really want to mess with the with the blood dr- drinking thing i'm just gonna stick to this island over here um, you have basically an infinitely expandable setting by the initial constraints of your 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 first release setting. Right, and th- this is where my head is at for the fashion game that comes out in quarterly seasonal releases. And they they have the new fashion, the NPCs that are the models of the fashion, the fashion company which you know creates the items and stuff, and then the location where this fashion is used. So it'll be like all themed on like maybe it's like made in Italy style thing or whatever the cool stylish version of Italy is Italy, I guess. Um, <laughs> but each, each one is a standalone thing. So you can be like, Oh, I want the June 2023 one. Like that is, that's got my favorite stuff in it because it was all based on lunar fashion stuff. Um, and then you can play a moon man uh, or something, but yeah, th- it's exactly like, it just adds an additional chunk of the game. You know, it's maybe got extra rules, but it's definitely got new NPCs that you can have fashion fights with and all that stuff. I think too, uh, Troika is currently doing this really well of having like uh, acid death fantasy. Here's D 66 new, new classes or backgrounds and a bunch of villains and there's not necessarily like a quest in it, but just the flavor in the way that Troika does like, your skill list and your items list present setting. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the same way they could release like the dinosaur friends book. And it's like you as a play group, you have the core information. Um, All of this adds to the world, but only in so far as you want to add it to your world. And that's shit rules, especially those two examples are enough that they could overlay the core. So like you could have no, core backgrounds at all you only use this other book set right whereas it what i'm thinking like your your moon man uh maybe the moon man class only lives in the moon man scene yeah (laughs) Uh, and like people still play magic the gathering and they've done this every season since 1993 and there are very few like it's a whole understanding of magic just to keep this like constantly iterating world you can look at magic uh deck releases as world building and different story and game elements and npc elements they have just nailed that um and so in the same way you don't see players are still playing the base like the action of playing magic is the same but it looks way different than it did 20 years ago um so wow yeah, it's booster pack theory again. We're we're back. We're bo- back, everybody. Booster packs, DLC, late game content. Uh, <laughs> these things that we come back to. I mean, this is we're 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 talking too about like Game Island. Like, 
think yeah. modular game design and game design that isn't necessarily over when it's published, um, living projects are, are those are things I guess that we kind of just like really fuck with heavy because they keep yeah. coming up and every time we're not only like we we are surprised by how much richness there is to continue to expand on those things like and and without tons of scope creep too i think that's the scariest thing about yeah. these kinds of projects because we're not like you want. yeah we're not like oh i'm gonna do an infinite amount of zines for my the rest of my life and we're like no like an arc is three things and we'll and see you can when have i do the next other one. people write or, an arc or like a guest issue or something like that too which i th- oh, or you have guest issues and covers oh my god <laughs> yeah you have interstitial stuff i'm thinking of like wicked and divine would do a, a four or five issue arc and then have a break and those breaks would be off main uh but still yeah. add to the world like Oh, I just want my friend to write about the like motorcycles for this one. Uh, it's not necessarily something that I have the spoons for, so but I want motorcycles to exist. So uh, just go ham, and whatever you say is canon, and it's all good. I mean, I, and I don't mean to speak for actual play podcasters ever, but a serialized game that has a narratively designed arc in it already. I mean, yeah, that's gangbusters. Nice. It's going to yeah. take a lot of the the pressure off of your shoulders and also just kind of make the th- narrative threads not necessarily better, but easier because they're built yeah. in. Just yeah, like it's cool, man. Understanding that games can be played and they can be like it's like having scene blocking in a scene, like character blocking for a scene. Like, you know where these these things are standing and where they can go. It's not this like big toolbox kind of thing that just is alarmingly broad and so there's no con- constraint creativity you know that the first episode you're gonna fucking catch max and you're gonna see how in the thing like that uh it just looks great we're going uh, very long but like this, <laughs> i listened to a podcast about how they made the blair witch and Ooh. uh spoilers for the for the blair witch project <laughs> i've been obsessed with the blair witch uh, lately, but I've also re- I've I've really loved it forever. I haven't um, watched it in forever, but I grew up in Maryland. So the three the three people who are in it are improv actors, and every day or night they would just be told like, "Tomorrow, here's your spiel." Like, and the actual like producers or people directing or or you know orchestrating the movie were were in the woods, but they were so far out of sight and they were not like really there. So they would just give wow. you a note and say like. Um, tomorrow you have to uh, lose the map. And then these improv actors would just make up the rest. Um, and That's then I, fascinating. I also heard that the production staff would actually go and scare them and like make weird sounds and shit like to add oh to. Oh my God. So some of the fear is, is real. <laughs> um, all of that's so cool. But basically like that's what we're offering here is like, hey, tomorrow <laughs> you're going to deliver something. Here's the, here are the rules. How you still the get Blair to, witchification. You still yeah. get to figure out what about that excites you and what doesn't. Um, or like you know when the if there's a GM, like the facilitator pulls out the underground ghoul zine. Like you know you're gonna go racing through a ghoul war now. But but you still get to fill the blanks in the way that RPGs and story right, exactly. games let you. Yeah, that's really great shit. Yeah. Let's call it. I mean, I know we're Let's on a fire, but we're just gonna go forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, where can people find you? Find updates about Cyber Metal. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at WC Game Co. and Patreon.com slash World Champ Game Co. for my monthly games. Uh, I still have a game that's going to come out this year uh, in December on Patreon that I think is is neat. It's like a GM-less winter uh, questy magic thing. Um, cool. Inspired by the Snow Queen or the Snow... The Snow... The Snow Queen, yeah, the fairy tale that inspired Frozen, but I, Neat. I took, I took. It's not as goofy. I think people Finally expected the Frozen game. I think people expected when I said I was making a Frozen game, it would be, it would be jokey. Um, it's not. You meant Hans Christian Andersen's Frozen, <laughs> right? Uh, that's Fr- coming trapped out. in the ice. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming out about a month from now. At the same time, or ho- hopefully right before I start to fulfill Necronautilus, which is is actually like one month from being shipped right now. Hell yeah, congratulations. Ocean. Thank you. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know we just glossed Which over. Which ocean? Cy- <laughs> the Pacific. Uh, oh my god, it's a big one. I'm going to figure out what to do with Cyber Metal in, and announce it in some official way, probably in January. But I'm also, Babes in the Wood 2 should be on Kickstarter in January. So I'm, I'm like I said, I'm spinning some plates in the way that I do. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, what about what about you? Let's get some info on Torkborg's future. Yeah, I'm online at will.com. We all know this. Uh, Torkborg, I want to get a cover first before I post about it on Twitter, but it'll be coming to Zine Quest 2021. I'm back. I've returned. Um, finally, after Kickstarter invented zines, I'm going to make one. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I'm excited about that. Um, obviously, life is fucking crazy, bad, and good right now. So, uh, I'm doing what I can with Houska. Uh, I'm just painting cards and shit. So, uh, expect news about it in January. But me- in the meanwhile, why don't you keep this as a fun secret for yourself and maybe tell a close friend or loved one? Uh, let's get shit. Let's stay come ta- come talk to us in the um in the Brain Trust Discord. Uh, about serializing games and having games be narratively designed across editions or whatever um, and metal plot stuff and also come get your ass beat at Smash. <laughs> I'm intimidated to come back to Smash. I mean, I was never good. I was always kind of there, but it's fun to play with the gang. Um, yeah, come hang. But, but I feel like more recently I, I'm even more afraid because of how, how good or how much more confident you have been vocally about it. <laughs> Uh, I just talk shit because <laughs> I'll like get in the game and John John Gary will be like talking shit on the podcast about <laughs> how good you were, <laughs> and then he'll absolutely shred me. Um, I just have bravado. It's just what I do anyway. Yeah, Discord link in the fucking uh, episode notes. Uh, check out the five star button on your podcast app. It's got a new feature. <laughs> will will make us give it. Look how good we did this episode. Just imagine that pressing that five star button is making this happen again. Anyway, the stars are uh, our money. <laughs> stars are our money. <laughs> uh, brain emoji handshake emoji.